0: Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe for future content. For more information about our one-on-one coaching and other training or nutrition options, visit giftedperformance.com. Our newest feature, the Gifted Express, offers premium programming for bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, and lifestyle clients for only $30 a month. Enjoy the video, we'll see you on the next one, and as always, stay gifted. Welcome back another episode of the GPP, Get to Performance Podcast, giving you knowledge and takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. If you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and all those things that I've never even heard of, you're missing out because I am rocking that Vegeta-approved Super Saiyan blue hair while the rest of my counterparts are just looking like normal, established, job-holding high members of society um i look like hell (laughs) i feel like everybody looking at me right now is like that guy looks like hell that guy doesn't have a job that guy is not a high member of society (laughs) yes and now you're really missing out because the the antlers have come out it is rudolph the red-cheeked
1: fitness coach i've already slept on this part of my mustache so many times that this is just how it's gonna grow the rest of the time if you
0: if you keep growing it like that are you gonna have like the like the italian twists on the end except it's gonna
1: be mid mustache and not at the end okay i
2: like how it grows in all white trash like that
1: yeah, it's, it's That's nice. nice. And, and I'm like, getting all this gray here now. It's not, um,
0: welcome. So some big, some big news day. all around. Dom is a reindeer. Paul is a soon-to-be, fingers crossed, don't want to jinx it, homeowner in the great state of Florida. He's coming down where all great things happen.
2: That's right. Well, coming I'm down, the only one not in Florida. That's really?
0: Right. Coming down to Ronnie World. not
2: living in freedom. Yeah. <laughs> it's snowing up in michigan
0: how the how those uh first first snowfalls been it
3: actually sucked my car spun out and i almost hit a tree (laughs) 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 i was like i'm just lucky
0: to be here on this podcast
3: i'm just really (laughs) i I swear to god i spun out in the middle of the road my advanced traction control was broken not not very advanced did a whole 360 with my pregnant wife in the car oh and almost hit a tree.
1: Were wow. you wearing those antlers and you were holding on to them for dear life? You're like, not oh, my antlers. Like,
3: <laughs> no, well, my car's fixed. So now, nice. Fine. So at, it's 50 degrees here today, though.
0: At four. Oh, that's not bad. Help this man out. Yeah. Send him, maybe send him a brand new one. Actually, let's get this man a Bronco, a four wheel drive that'll never fail him. Yeah. No, I'm mad at them, but it's okay. <sighs> we're going to fight. All right. Let's answer some questions today. Uh, right our first one comes from at abud underscore al subi i remember the first time he asked a question i was like i'm not even gonna try and look at me now dom are you proud or what you're very
2: uh ethnic
0: very learned now. very why cultured. did you direct that
2: question at dom it's
0: you know because he's because he's my Bobby. brother my brother <laughs> you will answer this question brother um he asks what are your tips on getting five meals in when you have a busy schedule so i feel like we've answered this question the inverse of this question quite a bit how to kind of reduce your calories in terms of a meal planning structure but we haven't really answered this from like getting more calories in fitting more meals in um standpoint so what what are your kind of tips there someone's got a busy schedule they have a high calorie intake and they need to get that in five meals or they think they need to get that in five meals what are some tips
1: i think that's the first thing i, I would sort of address is like if the person were here like why do you think you need five meals because do you coach need throw a meal plan with five meals
3: <laughs> i know right <laughs> you may need
1: people eating disorders <laughs> no but you, you may need five meals like if you have so much food that you're like there's no way i'm getting this in in three or four. Then you may five meals might be a good idea. or five because yeah, if it's
0: what is that? If it's let's say it's six thousand calories. If it's four meals, Here, you're I'll getting, pull up his stuff. You're right getting fifteen hundred calories per meal. So if you're getting yeah. fifty grams of protein in that meal, that's two hundred of those calories. That
1: means you got which many, is 13. just for for myself and Spencer. It's just a little more than a snack. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so he's eating three thousand five hundred and sixty six calories across five meals oh so this around, is your client yeah so around seven yeah that's why i said that's why i was making a joke about the meal plan oh, i'm an asshole come on
0: he yeah, does have a <laughs> shitty ass coach. so it's around 700 <laughs> calories per meal aka
3: an appetizer if you split it with someone that's just amazing.
1: yeah, yeah so.
3: so and and uh i think he, he goes to school too and works so i all think this he means. has a very busy life very
1: busy so one the tip first that I thing would say, i would do Wait, wait. I w- first, okay. I would ask my coach to quit being a piece of shit, all right, and give me less meals. No, I'm kidding.
0: Yep. If Go ahead. I start. All, right. all right. So my first suggestion and the suggestion that I give my clients is don't limit the times at which you can eat. Some people come off a dieting phase and they're like big in that intermittent fasting. I'm going to wait until like 11 or noon to get my first meal in. You got to ditch that mentality. You got to throw that shit in the trash because it's massing season and there's no skinny champions where I'm from. So you got to start eating and you got to start eating early. I would wake up and go with some sort of like liquid meal, like a smoothie like blend up some frozen fruit, oatmeal, peanut butter, protein powder, Greek yogurt, get yourself a nice like 1100 calorie start to the day and make sure it's liquid. So it's not like a really voluminous, clunky, hard meal to get in.
3: So one thing I do, um, like I, when he was struggling, I told him wake up earlier and don't take as much time to eat meal one, try to Mm get like, come downstairs and hit meal one right away. And then immediately I do this with guys too is meal. Like when food's high, meal one is always less protein so that they stay hungrier for meal two, three and what, and then so on. So like meal one is a lot more carbs and fats. They take their, you know, they take a lot of their supplements in the morning. So I I like to have a good amount of fats in that meal. Um, And then a high fat meal in the morning shows cognitive um, increases. So I like that to start off the day with lower protein, so they can get into meal two and not have to be as full. And uh, guys like it, but it comes off weird because it's like two whole eggs only, and they're like, "Where's all the rest of the protein?" Kind of. But uh, that's how I like to do meal one when food gets really high.
1: So wait, you don't even meet bare minimum for leucine threshold for breakfast?
3: I mean, if you're counting protein from everything else, yeah, it does. But
1: okay yeah
3: it's like i was about to, like I his, was about
1: to fucking stress the fuck out here for <laughs> your client it's like his, it is, his what? meal he one is 28
3: his meal one is 28 grams of protein but the rest of his are, are almost 50. Yeah yeah, yeah
1: yeah no that's cool man <laughs> i'm okay with that. oh uh to me um it sounds like this is more more of a time thing than a hunger thing and i don't know he may have hunger issues so like my biggest thing is just planning around your day, right? And so I like to plan what I'm eating. You know, for instance, I, I have a block of time, uh, like like my client updates, right? From like noon to four or five, that five hour stretch, I'm super duper busy. So like, I stick with the fastest, easiest meal I can do. Sometimes it's literally a peanut butter and jelly and a core powder, right? And so I get a bunch of carbs, fats and like i don't even know 50 60 grams of protein and i can slam that in like five minutes um and then the times of the day where i'm the least busy that's where i sit down and have my bigger more wholesome meals right and uh i think the thing ryan said is huge because almost everyone i have ever um coached that has a trouble getting their food in they 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 wait too late in the day to start their food. And so at the end of the day, they're like, dude, I have 1500, 2000 plus calories. And it's just so hard. I'm like, you just got to start earlier. As soon as you wake up, start. I don't care what you start with a smoothie, a full meal. Like you just got to start. And once you start, don't go three to five, more than five hours without having something. Right. Because you can't get what what you can't get behind on. And, and I'm kind of the opposite of Dom. I like for people to get started on the protein early because that is the hardest macro to catch up on. Like if you're at the end of the day and you got 150 plus grams of protein, like that is hell. So (laughs) I like for people to uh, split the macros up fairly evenly um, in in terms of their uh, protein at least. Um, And then uh, yeah, to just, you know, try and hit checkpoints and make sure that, you know, by the time it's 6 PM, I'm not, or five in the afternoon or four in the afternoon, you're not just now hitting meal two and uh, you have 50 out of 200 grams of protein uh, done only, you know? Yeah, I like that. I like
0: that yeah, start strong it. with protein kind of thing. Go go ahead, Jay, sorry. Yeah, I, I think apologize. those are all,
2: no, go ahead, go ahead. Those are all, uh, those are all good points. That's definitely, I think it does sound like it's an issue with just a time thing. Um, I think we've probably all been in that. I remember at least I remember that situation where I was in school full time and I had like, I don't know, two jobs or three jobs. I might have had one or 17 kids at the time. But so time was like real short. So a little bit of it was like, like you guys said, getting up early and then I didn't have time to eat like a full meal. So I would you know do like Ryan said. And most of that, most of those meals in the morning were something liquid. So it might've been like, I think at the time I was real big on like acai, which I don't know, whatever it said, superfood on the package. <laughs> so it must be good for you. So I would have like some of that and some way, and then like some, uh, Greek yogurt. And it was just like a bunch of like berries and a bunch of shit that I could just basically get into my car and I would just drink it on the way to campus. Um, <clears throat> and then a lot of that scheduling stuff is going to be sort of finding those pockets of time when you can eat. I mean, there's sometimes where, like, if you have a job where you get one lunch break, so it means you have breakfast probably in the car or right before you leave to go to work, and then you have lunch, and that's pretty much it. And then you have dinner for a lot of people. So if you're in a situation where you can't, like, sit down and eat an entire meal, that's where liquid meals basically, it's it's almost like what you're stuck with, or that's where, you know, supplementation for diet starts to sort of become more important because that's what it's meant for. It's meant to supplement your diet. So things like, uh, we're all big fan. I least I am big fan of like core powers. Cause that's real quick and easy. You can drink it. It's got a lot of the stuff you need. Um, but yeah, just quick things probably is right. the thing to do. And then also sort of pick the times in which you can eat more foods. I personally, I, I usually have like a pretty large dinner, but that's because that's the, that's the time where I can sit down and have the most amount of my food. So,
1: yeah. Um, I like before core powers, like when I was in school, I would always <laughs> out the door, just grab uh, life what?
0: before core power. I know Do you right? guys remember but, when core
1: powers didn't exist. Yeah. I would grab a shaker, fill it with water or milk, and then throw a scoop of whey in a, a Ziploc bag and a peanut butter and jelly in a Ziploc bag and just slam it like between walking to classes or whatever. But um, protein bars are good. And I've even had some people where I tell them like uh, like those Gatorade protein bars are super tasty. They taste like candy bars. And they're like 300 and something calories. And I'm like, just leave one by your bed. If you happen to wake up in the middle of the night and like you uh, can't sleep or something, just slam it real quick. It might even help you go back to sleep, you know, do shit like that, have protein bars on you. And that's the, so
2: funny that you bring up those Gatorade bars cuz we were, you know, for Thanksgiving, we are on this trip. And when I went out of town for business to Arizona, I basically bought a package of those and just like kept them in my carry-on. I'm just like eating these Gatorade cuz they're yeah, yeah. they're perfect. They're they're, they're so not good. that great if you're looking for protein content cuz I think it's like like 12 grams of protein yeah. and it's like 50 no, grams really of everything 20. else. No, they're 20. They're 20. You got the wrong ones. Really? You didn't get the 20. Really? I, can't I remember I've never seen those. those. Post show, I ordered year, them on Amazon. The Must be a Florida thing. <laughs> you know what it is? It's the NSCA. Like if you get if you get yes. your CSCS, they send you which is by yes. far, shout out to the NSCA, the best carry on bag on the planet. It's Whoa. like a duffel bag that has a back like backpack shoulders. Mine, mine's right, right over there. Somewhere. It's right there. Yeah, mine's, mine's right, right, there. right over here on the floor. And they send you like a box of these Gatorade protein yeah. bars to get you hooked for life. It's a brilliant it's really like strategy. It's like a hey, thanks for spending thousands of
0: dollars on our certifications <laughs> over the years. Like, we really appreciate <laughs> you. Here's some shitty protein bars, you
1: piece of shit. <laughs> um, just to elaborate too on a point that was already made, um, with, with really busy people, a lot of times they just get into their work and they don't even think about eating. So, when you're not even hungry. And you know, you're at risk to just look up and it's three in the afternoon and you've had one meal. That's where I think scheduling becomes so important. And through my day, I have timers on your phone. Yeah, I have little windows where I I eat as soon as I get up. So, sometime between eight and 9 a.m. And then um, I have a window from 11 to one. So, if it happens to become one o'clock and I haven't eaten yet, I stop what I do and I eat. Right. Or it's 11, I'm like, I should go ahead and eat now. It's a good time, you know and then i have another window between like three and six that i eat and that's going to be my my pre-workout meal and then i eat immediately post-workout i only have about four meals a day
2: but i think when you're when your caloric intake is high and you're struggling with timing and such this is where that whole sort of like if it fits your macros actually has some application because if you try if you have a i guess i'm one of those people where i have a pretty high you know nutrient requirement or caloric requirement just to maintain weight. If I try to survive on like chicken and rice and broccoli for whatever 3000 calories it takes for me not to lose weight, I'm going to be miserable. So I have to like eat things that are a little bit outside of what we consider to be quote unquote healthy. So I'll make sure I hit my micronutrients first. I'll make sure I get my fruits and veggies and all that stuff, but the rest of it's kind of like almost whatever I want to
1: eat. So I like that you brought that up and then, but sometimes when you give people that advice, they take it in the total wrong direction. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one meal is literally like a Ben and Jerry's and a a bit oven baked pizza. And I'm like, dude, that's not what I asked you to do. (laughs) It's 1500 calories. I'm halfway there. Yeah. um, 1500 calories. And I'll give 30 grams of trace protein. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big off season meal plan guy, but I did do one for um, one of my recent clients. And what, what we did was, we we just kept all the food the same but when we reached that point where it was like all right like look every single meal has like 400 grams of rice you know plus like a fruit or and or a veggie or something like that um, along with the protein source or whatever it was like all right you know our next meal addition is a pop-tart and we just slid pop-tarts into meals and that's what i sort of recommend for people to do when it gets that point eat your normal food but add a few oreos on the back end You know, or something like that. Like how you said that Oreos on the back end.
0: (laughs) What about, uh, so like Zach? I know he he won't mind me using him as an example, but Zach is someone where, like, unless his calories are like over 4,100, he like really can't consistently gain weight. So we were kind of brainstorming like how he can get more calories in. And Zach, being a disgusting human being, was like, I can mix, um, gatorade powder two scoops of orange gatorade powder into water and a vanilla core power and i can drink that during my workout um and i like i really like it like is that a good way to get more food in it probably like, tastes like a... orange i, cream I, I know a,
3: i know a lot of guys that do that
1: yeah that that
3: protein shakes while training well yeah, I when i worked at uh,
1: when i worked at max muscle many years ago <laughs> Uh, we had a we would let people sample things, and we would mix orange juice with the vanilla whey and it tasted like a uh, creamsicle, orange creamsicle. Yeah, so you got like,
3: you got uh, god, you got to
0: think that the like your training window is like what sixty to ninety, maybe up to one hundred and twenty minutes of your day. So like. If you're really struggling throughout your waking window to get your calories in, to completely ignore that 90 to 120 minute window in terms of getting calories in might really set you back by the end of the day. Like, even if it's just it's carbs, you don't that. want to do protein. You got to think. Travel to the gym, like, travel home, yeah. prep for the gym, getting home, taking a dump in the shower.
2: It's
1: like four hours of my day.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes it a little bit easier when you, when you end up going into a contest prep, if you've used a strategy where all you're really doing is switching sources. So if you, let's say uh, like for off season, let's say I have a, a ham sandwich for lunch because it's more calorically dense than say Turkey. And then I just switch to a Turkey sandwich. Now I've decreased fat. So it's like, you can make, there's certain things that are strategy you can use throughout the day. So that when you, if you do go into a deficit, you can make an easy switch. So it's like, you know, off season, I might have beef with dinner, then I just switch to chicken. So it's, it makes it easier if you think about stepping outside of those sort of, you know, prototypical bodybuilder-esque foods and just switch to a more higher caloric or a calorie, uh, total for a specific food. And then you just make sort of a switch. So even it's like, you know, full fat cheese. Now you switch to low fat cheese. So those are the things that you can do to kind of increase your calories throughout the day is just kind of step outside of that box a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is all fantastic
0: advice now now let's give him our worst advice so my worst advice is that you're going to want to wake up and you're going to start your day with a full bloomin' onion from outback steakhouse just pound that to the dome that's a nice 1600 calories just <laughs> you sip, wouldn't have to eat for the rest of the day so sip the little a sauce that onion. they deliver with it um and then just pray you make it I through the next two hours
1: no that that's huge man um i really what's huge about eating a blooming onion for breakfast (laughs) (laughs) that sounds disgusting that sounds (laughs) amazing as long as it's fresh if it's fresh it's solid but uh yeah like i will i don't like for either in a dieting phase or a gang phase for people to put junk food on the early side of their day because it ruins how good the the cleaner foods are for the rest of the day and you don't want any of it you know
2: Like, if you just start your
1: day with delicious IHOP, you're just like, (laughs) you look at your chicken and rice later and you're like, fuck Uh, this. Yeah. There's no way. Um, And then it's a love hate, though, with fast food and stuff because it, it like makes you feel so full so fast. But I sort of feel like a couple hours later, I'm like, where did it go? It's all gone. I'm the
3: opposite. If I eat something like that, I'm full for hours.
1: Yeah. I am with like a big restaurant meal. But like I don't know, Arby's, that shit just dissolves <laughs> in your in your fucking body.
2: Paul, I haven't wait. had
1: fast food in like years. Bro. I yeah, I haven't had Arby's, Arby's in a like while. A decade.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of the last fast food I had. Maybe Popeyes. Popeyes is just quality. Don't say anything bad. I like how
1: as soon as I said that, Jason was like Paul, like he was so concerned. He's like, I <laughs> can't put that I in can't... your body. I, I like, can't can't do get... that. I get concerned
2: about Paul all the time. Like sometimes <laughs> in the middle of the day, I'm just like, fuck, what is Paul doing right now? <laughs> I hope he's okay. <laughs> what's
0: well, a <laughs> systolic blood pressure right now i like doing okay? a bad dog <laughs> <laughs> alright Abood. hopefully we answered your question thoroughly enough and good luck getting that food in remember it's what coach puts for you on the meal plan is more of a suggestion than it is a requirement and at the end of the day do whatever oh, you it's want it's a requirement bro <laughs> <laughs> howdy gifted gang we hope you're enjoying the episode so far If you've been thinking about joining the Gifted Performance team, but not sure one-on-one coaching is right for you, you should give the Gifted Express a try. The Gifted Express is our automated coaching feature that provides training guidance for bodybuilders, Olympic weightlifters, powerlifters, and lifestyle clients. For only a dollar a day, you can get constantly varied, always progressed training. Sign up today by clicking the link in the show notes below. Now back to today's show. All right, our next question is a question that Dom and I answered on the live stream a while back, but I do want to revisit this one and get the opinion of the other guys here. This question uh, is does or do Adderall and Vyvanse affect muscle growth due to increased cortisol and stress levels? So Dom had some Dom, had some Dom had some points on on the live. Oh. If you want to reiterate those here, and then we'll see if I the said other no. guys here
3: agree or disagree i said no because it's probably very acute and the, the to the increase in cortisol um and then um i forget what else i said uh I said i know people who use adderall who are very big individuals <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah. think it affected anything
0: <laughs> hell yeah this might be like an interesting this might be like an interesting like area to study though right to look at like you know have a control group that isn't using these things and then have a, a group that has been using them for a while or just started using them and put them through, you know, a 12 week resistance training study and see what effects it has on muscle growth and see what has effects. It has on kind of like metabolic health in general. Like, is it going to affect your resting blood sugar? Is it going to affect your HbA1c over three months, your blood pressure, all that kind of stuff?
1: I, uh, so with this question, um, i i think that worrying a lot of people worry about cortisol and stress and not that it's not something to worry about but there are much bigger players i think you need to consider first right um i think that you know the the biggest question with adderall or Vyvanse or, or really any s- stimulant is does it get in the way of you doing the more important things like getting your food in and getting your sleep right if if these things keep you up or keep you from sleeping, or they make getting your food in really hard, so you're not able to accomplish that task, then absolutely they're going to get in the way of your uh, muscle building potential, right? Um, in terms of cortisol and stress, I, I haven't really looked into the um, the effect on cortisol. It, it may be there. You know, I've seen blood work where cortisol seems fairly normal, right? but we're looking at a snapshot in time. Um, In terms of stress, uh, I mean, in some ways, Adderall and Vyvanse may help stress, right? You're able to get more done, feel accomplished, relax a little more. Uh, For chronic users, a lot of times, cortisol and stress response for many stimulants is less of a concern. If anything, for a chronic user, uh, cold turkeying these things might cause a, a great stress response, right? Um, so, yeah, those are my biggest considerations. You know, look, is it getting in, in the way of those other bigger, more important things? Um, you know, they probably can improve with uh, improve your motivation to go train and, and potentially um, the quality of your, your efforts in the gym. So it, it's not all bad. I think a lot of people like they, they think about these things and they start to get anxiety and they're like, oh my God, is this, this is getting way in the way of my muscle building potential. And, uh, that's probably more harmful than the actual, uh, the, the Adderall when it comes to stress response. So when I think about like
0: acute use of these things, I almost think, I almost wonder like how much, like a high stress lifestyle, um, occurs in individuals who are using this stuff short term, like deadlines in school that are stressing you out a ton of work that needs to get done at your job. So then you start using Adderall or Vyvanse to kind of speed up your work rate and get that stuff done. And it's like, Oh man, I'm so stressed out, but the stress isn't really being driven by the Adderall or the Vyvanse. It's being driven by the lifestyle factors, which the Adderall is then treating you may see a decrease in muscle growth, but you need to rewind all the way back to step one. What was the actual source of the stress? And it was deadlines at work or something. That's what maybe contributed to lack of sleep, poor nutrition, causing the decreased muscle growth, not the Adderall or
2: the Vyvanse themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think Paul brought up some really good points because that would be my primary concern is that is it keeping you from eating? Um, because it does have a bit of an appetite suppressant effect on some people. Yeah. And then also, I mean, it's a, it's a stimulant, so if you can't sleep and you're, you're basically affecting all the things that will assist in recovery, which is, you know, <laughs> probably one of the greatest things or the probably the, the one variable that's the most important, uh, you know, for actually yeah. you know, making any progress at all. So I think that would be my two primary concerns outside of, uh you know, stress or cortisol levels. And then cortisol at the end of the day is, it's, I'm not going to say it's misunderstood, but it's definitely not completely understood. Like, you know, you wake up and there's a cortisol response, like your, your brain, your body's like, Oh shit, it's another day. Like that's so nobody really knows why that it's, so so there's all these things. Yeah. Like every morning I wake up like, Oh, but, um, so I think That's probably low on uh, the things that it should be of concern. When you look at Adderall and all that stuff, even, I mean, I was just looking at a study on that exact same thing and like, sure, stress levels and cortisol levels are increased along with a blood pressure. But is it going to affect, especially when it comes to gaining muscle? Probably not. But I guess also you have to look into other factors of your life. So stress is cumulative. So if you're, a person that's just already stressed out already and you're a high stressed individual taking adderall may not be the best thing to you know it's it's not going to help but i think that's going to yeah. be case specific it's going to be dependent on the individual a bit that's that's a really good point for i think somebody. to
3: um when asked this question there's the whole variable of if somebody's enhanced or not so it's kind of like the metformin argument that it decreases IGF 1 levels, but we'll never see a study that shows metformin use in somebody who's enhanced at an ungodly amount of IGF circulating. Like, is metformin actually doing that? Um, which I kind of can see the same thing here, like on a muscle growth aspect, like. What negative effects this has with cortisol? Is it enough to, you know, chump the benefits that enhancements bring in terms of muscle growth?
1: That's a really interesting it. thing that a lot of people uh, worry about. Like I've had people ask, like, "Hey, is taking Benadryl bad for my gains?" For which I have no idea if it is or not. But I, you know, to them, I say, like, "Well, you're into." They'll use it for sleep or whatever. I'm like, "Well, what's worse?" Uh, not taking the Benadryl and getting bad sleep or is taking the Benadryl and getting a full eight plus hours of sleep going to be better for your gains, right? There's You have to sort of weigh these things out. Um, yeah, taking something that may have a negative impact on muscle growth uh, is, is maybe not what we on the surface want. But if we have all these other pillars in place that are helping us grow muscle, it could just be so negligible that it doesn't even matter.
3: Yeah, that's kind of what my thought process is on a lot of this yeah. stuff. I think,
0: a, I think, tangent, think
3: like if, a tangential question might be looking
0: at other pharmaceuticals like Ambien, Lunestra. Dude, I don't even of, know what that word means. <laughs> what tangential? You say? Tangential? <laughs> like semi-related but off to the side a little did, bit? Did you
3: like, read like word of the day today or something? I so did, but it wasn't tangential. Do you mean. want to know
0: what the word of the day was? I'm going to give it to you anyway. Where are you? Where are you? It's in
3: my like Spam. Dude,
2: I'm a uh, science major,
3: not an English major. Yeah. So now you Dumb,
0: need
2: to you know improve because words. I don't know what they mean. I'm going to take that as disrespect.
3: <laughs> what did you just
0: call me? You dirty ch- tangential. To um, so look at drugs like, uh, like Lunestra or Ambien that are basically like sedatives to put you to sleep that decrease the quality of your total sleep. Like, like they put you to sleep, but they reduce the quality of your sleep. Are those drugs going to have a bigger effect on muscle growth well, as a reduction I, of sleep? Quality? I can
1: almost, I can almost guarantee that like getting eight hours of, uh, you know, sleep eight plus eight, eight plus whatever, how many, whatever your, um, requirements are, uh, is going to be better for your gains than getting like three or four hours of shitty like, sleep.
0: Deep, uh, like, yeah, a comparably like better sleep
1: because uh, there was always or, or that argument around. Quality.
0: There was always that argument around of like around marijuana, like how it like had that sedative effect. I was and just thinking that notorious reefer, chiefer Jason Holt was very worried when all of that came out. Just kidding. Doesn't, it, it, doesn't, doesn't smoking, mar- doesn't
3: smoking marijuana before bed not allow you to enter REM? I that's can't so not yes. what it is. And then that's yeah, the same it, thing with, like, Lunestra and Ambien, that they have that sedative effect. And if you're sedating so yourself, Clark, not- Clark, Mr. Marijuana himself, does, loves getting high. Like, mm-hmm. loves it. It's true. But he does not get high before bed.
1: That's yeah. interesting. He I, just so eats, like, I a bunch been... of raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> He's, him and Liver so King should hang out. <laughs> I, I have... <laughs> I've, I worried about that in the past, right? Because I I mentioned on, I think it was maybe the last podcast that I had like awful sleep habits from when I was getting my master's teaching and my first year starting coaching. And it took me like almost, almost a full three years to correct those bad habits. Um, and you know, that first year or nine months I was getting, I was probably averaging like three hours a night, maybe five on a really good night. Uh, but So I've had plenty of phases where I've, I've, uh, especially, I've just had plenty of phases where I've used a lot of different things for sleep, um, from prescription things to recreational things to over the counter things. And in every circumstance, my, um, gym performance and my gym outcomes were better, uh, improving my sleep over continuing to sleep like five or less hours a night.
0: Yeah, Jay, did you have something
2: to add? I feel like I cut you off. Uh, oh, I was going to say, so I also have to ask, is Delete5794, is he asking this because he's prescribed Adderall? Because the effects of Adderall to someone that's prescribed to it are going to be somewhat different for someone that is not prescribed to it, just because there's going to be a chemical imbalance. So if you think about it like that, I, that's another one of those things. Like you probably never get that pass in ethics. Point like let's give some Adderall to someone who is not prescribed it, and then let's see how this affects cortisol. Like that probably will never happen. Well, maybe I don't know. Weak. But, Weak. But, uh, but I, I don't know. That is that a variable to kind of take into consideration? or are, are you? Pers- do you need this? Or if you know? they
3: actually have ADHD, you're saying?
2: Yeah. 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 Because I wonder if it's different.
0: Yeah. Would it almost be comparable to like using testosterone for someone who is has like hypogonadism versus someone who's like enhancing with testosterone of like the Adderall puts the ADHD person into like normal physiological ranges where the same thing with the test does for someone who needs TRT or someone who doesn't need it hypothetically pushing them out of the range It's
1: a good question. That's a good
0: question. It's a good thought.
1: Because, I mean, I I met someone once who um, it it was so peculiar to me because it was I I didn't even know that it was really a thing. But without Adderall or Vyvanse, they um, were all over the place mentally and but very like, you know, talkative and energetic. And then when they took ADHD medicine, they like leveled them out. And I was like, holy shit. This is like the opposite of amphetamine to you, like. Yeah,
2: yeah. You'll
3: meet those. But people I think that, that's what it does to those that have that hyperactivity.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's what it's designed. It for, levels yeah. them out. Because you'll meet those people that are like, "Oh, I have like, you know, I have six or seven hundred milligrams of caffeine a day, and it does absolutely nothing for me." And I'm like, "What? Why are but you for talking me, about me if I have that much?" I'm right <laughs> yeah, here. I was specifically talking about Ryan. But, Say my uh, name. But. <laughs> But I mean, I mean, if I have 500 milligrams of caffeine, it's it's things are not good. So I think it just depends on the individual. But that's the first thing that kind of stuck out is, it, does this person need not necessarily need it, but are they prescribed that due to some level of chemical imbalance? And I wonder if that chemical imbalance immediately is there an effect to stress and cortisol level that require you to take Adderall. To begin so, with, so are you starting off with either higher or lower levels of cortisol? In the hear me out. The go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Probably here, here the out. treatment there is cortisol um, supplementation. Here, hear me out.
0: Well, we're talking about caffeine. You know, Jay, what happens if you have 900 milligrams of caffeine? Bad things, right? Bad things happen right. to you. It's unpleasant, mostly poop. But. There's plenty of research on caffeine intake where they gave people 9 to 12 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. They've even concluded that the best dose for strength performance, absolute strength output, is 6 to 9 milligrams per kilogram, which means that the upper end of that range is 900 milligrams for a 220-pound male. Why can we give 900 milligrams, close to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine to people, but we can't give people 10 milligrams of Adderall? Why is, why is one okay with an IRB and the other one isn't? Like, why are these, why do these things exist? It's a good question.
1: Yeah. An even bigger question is why, why such a negative stigma with it outside of research,
0: right? I read a meme yesterday that said two consenting adults should be allowed to duel each other to the death. And I think that the IRBs should take a similar attitude that if you've got individuals who are consenting to be part of these studies, no matter what is inside of the study then you go forward with it because these are adults they speak for themselves and if they're consenting to the research protocol then let's run it why are we sitting around wasting twiddling our thumbs paul you muted yourself i don't know if he's doing something oh he's having a phone call all right at delete 5794 we took your question we made it our own and we're sorry for that but hopefully you also got an answer that you wanted our next question comes from at zalant one eight seven. zolent is asking about fat grips. So, do fat grips really work? And when would be the best time to use them? So, I think we have to define what really works would be in the context of. There fat are better ways to grips. fuck
1: up your training. Yeah,
0: I was going to say if <laughs> your if if your goal is to navigate how to wrap your meaty paws around a thick pipe then grab yourself a <laughs> pair of fat grips and your homies, your, your thick lad homies will love you forever. But if you're trying to implement them in training, I think my friends here might have some uh, input for you there, Paul, why are they going to fuck up your training?
1: They man. I mean, it depends on what you use it for, but um, I see a lot of people using them for things where grip now becomes the limiting factor. And so, you don't want your grip to fatigue before your lats when you're doing pulling movements or your biceps when you're curling and things like that um or your forearms to fatigue if you're doing deadlifts or stiff leg deadlifts or something uh they they're uh, probably a really good tool for um improving like grip strength maybe or a way to do that you just want to use them in a way that it doesn't fuck up the rest of your training and for hypertrophy purposes, it always is peculiar to me when people bring up wanting, um, to improve their grip strength, because I mean, that really is just a non-concern. And I think that even without most, there are some people that, um, will have be genetically, uh, sort of predisposed to having shitty forearms, but a lot of people will get pretty decent forearm development just from, just their training carrying weights around moving dumbbells loading and loading plates and then holding on to things and i think even with straps your uh, forearms are not going to just get no stimulus ever um i have you know it could be a genetic thing my forearms are fairly large uh some kind of awkwardly large to where they even make my biceps look a bit small like a front double and i have not done any forearm work since like my first few months training where i saw somebody doing it and i was like oh that looks like something i should do
0: uh fat grips are to grip strength what rack pulls are to pulling strength they're very like joint angle specific strengthening Because, like a fat, the fat grips are a standardized width, and they are, I don't know how they standardized it, a certain percentage, we'll say 200% larger than your normal barbell. So, you will get a lot better at gripping things that are 200% larger than the average barbell but the strength that you develop is going to be joint angle specific and you are very good at gripping those things, but anything larger, you will lose that grip strength advantage and anything marginally smaller than that, you will also not have had that specific grip stimulus. So if you are someone who's like a strength, like a strong man competitor and where grip strength is a huge part of it, like you're going to get your grip strength training from picking up the odd implements. If you're a bodybuilder, grip strength isn't something that you should worry about because no one has ever won a bodybuilding show by shaking the judge's hand with the hardest. After the show is over and the judge like comes up and is like, oh, great job in the overall. And it's like, oh, great job, Paul. Like you won the heavyweight division. And Paul just like crushes this man's hand because he's been using his fat grips. The judge isn't going to be like, oh, my God, give me that overall trophy back. This guy is an absolute behemoth of grip strength. Like hand it over to Paul instead. Like, that's never, ever going to happen. And if it takes away from your hypertrophy training, you might be just directly shooting yourself in the foot. That's my diatribe. I
1: can't even imagine dedicating the time and volume in the gym to that. Like, I have other things to trade. Like, I don't have time for that, dude. And I, I've I'll never – dude, big forearms, it's like a, a party novelty. No one gives a fuck on stage or, like, in the grand scheme of your physique. Like, no one also imagine you're like a complete
0: beginner at the gym and you look over and some dude is like pulling fat grips out of his bag and you're like oh my god that guy brought a vibrator to the gym like what this is a whole different game that we're talking about now you're like oh my god he's wrapping it around the bar what the hell's going on and then you're over there with your fat grips like hell yeah big brain
3: i'm getting yoked
1: I think. I mean, I'll I play know,
3: devil's advocate though.
0: Yeah, I,
1: I use cast grips for a lot of stuff. That's That's stuff. different. That's totally That's different though. It's not the same. Why, the why is grips, that different? The cast grips are designed um they're more sort, somewhat cone-shaped. So they're biomechanically, I remember looking into it because the first time I saw them I was like, "Why is that better? This is fucking stupid." And then I looked <laughs> into it. Um they're designed to biomechanically Just fit better in your hands so that holding holding things is actually easier than hard. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's what I got out of them, and I only use them for things that would fatigue like in my elbow first. So when I switched over to using them, like a tricep push down or like a curl or like anything like pushing wise with them, I don't pull with them though. But anything pushing wise with them, I and even well, that's way a lot better.
0: Push, your grip strength is never going to be an issue in, in pushing exercises. Yeah. Like when you push, you're not going to be limited by your grip
1: strength. And even the guy who sort of designed them, when he pulls in them, he wears uh, straps or he made a smaller version even than the original yeah. so that he could use uh what are those called? Versa grips? Yeah. Yeah. When
2: I think about, it, I think, uh, so there is a, there's a correlation between grip strength and overall strength, right? But you have to, if if grip strength is the issue, just do some grip specific work. If that's your primary concern, there's no need to start blending things together. Like I'm going to do some curls for my biceps and I would like to work on my grip strength at the same time. Maybe you're just crunched for time and you just Wanted those are your two aims, I guess. That makes a little so bit so you sense. wanted
1: two suboptimal stimuluses at the same time, yeah. Yeah,
2: it's I like mean, the, if that's your it's, game. it's like the deadlift barbell row superset where
0: someone does like one barbell row rep and then one deadlift. It's like I would like to get the least out of both at the same time,
2: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess then it makes sense, so maybe that would be the best time to use them if you would like to not be anywhere close to optimal at most things, but it seems like you. You would need some direct grip work and like ryan said it's very specific to just holding on to fat grips and that's it
1: and you know like i i've uh coached uh, quite a few power lifters now and never have i had to have them do ancillary like grip work no, right it's just yeah. hey we're gonna deadlift loads that we can load and we're gonna overload over time um or loads that we can lift and we're gonna overload over time and their grip strength just kind of comes up with everything else you know and i've had one who pre or at some point in prep was like hey i feel like my grip does a little better if i do some pull-ups without straps can i do that and i was like sure i fuck it you know like
0: (laughs) it's not even it's not even an absolute grip strength issue it's more of a grip endurance issue where a deadlift lasts for longer than they expected and then their ability to hold on to the load for the five six seconds that the deadlift takes becomes the limiting factor it's not the the absolute grip strength that's the problem and in, like paul said there's very easy ways to fix that deadlift or uh, pull-ups are a good one or even if you just have instruct the athlete to hold the deadlift at the top for an additional two or three seconds to build more of that grip endurance but saying that you missed a deadlift because of grip strength is is one of those misnomers that kind of bothers me in powerlifting. Like, your hands were strong enough to grip it and get it off the floor. You just, like, had one of those shaking attacks when you were locking out. <laughs> so if you were better at locking the weight out faster, you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have that issue with your grip.
1: One That's of the craziest grip fails it.
0: that I saw was when we were down at Hybrid when Jamal missed his last deadlift, and it looked like someone from the crowd, like, shot him like his one hand just gives out when you're pulling on a thousand pounds and one hand gives out you're just like oh and you're just gone <laughs> yeah
2: it's hilarious Jay, I, was I, gonna... I was uh i don't know what i was gonna say there it's gone it's completely gone but whenever it's i think gone. about <laughs> oh okay that's what it was so i've seen uh like Bryce Lewis was the first person that I saw that did do this. He basically was trying to work up to a a monster squat because most of his squats are monster. But what it was is he would load up far more weight than he actually could squat and he would just walk out with it and then just stand there. And that's how he kind of got, you know, sort of, I assume that you create some sort of like neural pathway to just like hold that weight and just stand there. So I think you could probably do something, even if you're uh, even if you're concerned about grip strength, you could probably just load up a bar in a deadlift in your strongest position, which is probably gonna be like pretty high, like close up to your hip, and then just kind of stand there and just hold it. And that's probably gonna be a bit more effective than paying whatever. I don't even know how much, what what a fat grips what's the retail cost on a fat grip? I think 50, uh, 60 bucks, I assume is like- I think they're, they're on usually
0: rate for $69. $69 then they're on sale for $4.20. I think. Sixty-nine
2: sounds
0: about right. But that might be a bit <laughs> more thirty dollars.
2: <cost laughs> thirty <than> dollars <$30? laughs> for now. But uh, you know, never mind. But. Uh, <laughs> yeah i think that'd probably be a, a must much more effective way to go about increasing grip strength even that or even i remember getting like those little wa- as a kid my dad always had those things that were like plastic it was basically just like a, a spring like a hand on you would just like squeeze it yeah do you guys remember those yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't Get know what those, those. that probably
1: i don't know i don't think I'm my my you know i just never had the problem because you know i got a power lifter and meat prep right for example hypothetical example we're 20 weeks out we're oh Oh Okay. I thought my thing closed out. Um, And uh, we just start 20 weeks out lifting and holding what you can in the deadlift. And we just progressively add load and and we only lift things that we know you can lift.
2: And by the time
1: you get to your meet, like you're, you're as strong as you need to be. I imagine
2: specificity and overload working. Jay,
0: I actually, I like your point of like loading up more and doing like a walkout. Like the Chinese weightlifting team is notorious for this. They'll do what they call like jerk dips where they'll like load like 600 plus pounds in a front rack position and they'll just walk it out and then just like dip like they would in a jerk just to kind of overload that one pattern so that if they're, comfortable dipping in a jerk with 300 kilos then they should be good to go when they've got 200 205 210 on
1: there i totally get that because i mean i'm sure this has happened to all of us right like we put some weight on the bar and maybe it's a new weight or something or something we haven't hit in a long time and you pick it up off your back and you're like wow this feels like shit it's not <laughs> what you want to feel in competition like you you want to unrack something and be like oh this is gonna be good i got this you know? I uh you everything
0: think that, that's such a funny feeling that everyone knows when you like walk out of squad and you're like, I'm gonna miss this. I'm for sure gonna miss this. <laughs>
2: this I'm gonna this bend my legs awful.
0: and I'm gonna try and stand it up, but I'm gonna miss this. Like oh, I got a funny shaking. Story.
3: We were we were training on Saturday. Uh it was Clark's first day back in the gym after getting his lung out. And uh one of his, one of our friends is a pretty strong power lifter. And yeah, pretty doing, strong
0: was, is how I would describe him for sure. Just pretty
3: strong. <laughs> he was doing uh, he was doing squat bench deads that day, and we got he got to his top set of squats. I think it was like six eighty five for a triple. He
0: that's was pretty
2: strong of do. him. Yeah, that's pretty strong.
3: So he so he tells me, "Can you get on one side?" And then he tells Sal, "Can you get on another side?" Nah. Sal is deaf in both ears. Did not know so. That. Yeah, he has hearing aids, and even with his fucking hearing aids, he can't hear anything. <laughs> so we're always having to scream at him, and he d- he can't whisper either. So, <laughs> but, uh, so we're squ- we're spotting him like right under the load, right under the plates, and we're squatting down, coming up, squatting down, coming up. The second rep, he goes down, and I'm look. I looked in the mirror, and I was like, "This is not coming back up." <laughs> he co- so he goes for his third. And he can't get he can't get up, so he yells "spot," you know, or grab whatever the fuck he said. I grab Help. it and I'm hugging and, it and I'm trying to lift it, and Sal's, and Sal's like, just standing there because he didn't hear anything, <laughs>
1: just looking at his phone. Oh my god, it was
3: hilarious! But yeah, no, it was just
0: funny. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Zolent, I hope we answered your question. If you already spent money on Fat Grips, we hope that you did it on a credit card. Always remember that oh. you can dispute the charge
1: question uh because i've actually never tried this i have seen some people use it on uh pressing movements and i think they claim it feels better on their wrist or something or feels more comfortable or ergonomic i have no idea it seems dumb to me but i don't know
3: it probably feels better on their elbows maybe, maybe. I don't know. because they can't grip as hard so they're probably not like flexing all these extensors as hard
2: yeah Isn't i there... remember as uh we had we you know, we were climbers for a while, and that was the big thing with climbing: is if you overgrip things, you would basically you would you would fry your forearms far before you were done. So that that is very true. Like you don't really want to squeeze things as hard as you possibly can because your extensors will probably fry. Well, there's an
1: argument else. for uh, in or terms for like of suspension. pressing to actually squeeze the bar as hard as you can. Isn't there like a drive. direct
0: link between like force output and how hard you're gripping on the bar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that yeah, as well. There is. is. So maybe from an endurance standpoint, it makes sense not to grip as hard as you possibly can.
2: But what about like, uh, so there's, the, what's, what's the grip where you basically like the bars in the middle of your hand are closer bulldog. towards the fatter pad of your hand, but you're almost just like using your fingertips.
1: I know like bulldog grip is something yeah. like this. So yeah, like bulldog. bar grip. is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. Like,
2: but I guess you're pushing on the bar with your fingertips pretty hard. So I wonder if it's the same amount of force this no. is quite the conversation
0: about grip we're i never thought we would talk deep. this long and this hard grip, about a bar gripping things we're getting very yeah. deep um all right our last question for the day comes from rodell himself rodell gonzalez at the real rdg fit uh roddy asks what do you guys do when a client hits a plateau on weight loss is it a is it an issue of refeeds diet breaks Um, what if you notice that those things aren't working? So let's say you're taking someone down on a diet and their weight just isn't moving anymore, even though you've continued to push the calories in down and the calories out up, or you've kept the calories out the same stable. First thing I do is I I go with the most effective tool in health, fitness, fat loss, weight loss, whatever you want to call it. And that's shame. You start with shame. You're fucking this up. And you are making me bad. You're making me look bad by doing it. So if you start with shame, y- you can really only tone it down from there. Coming in with the shame lets them know that you're not playing around. What do you guys like
1: to use? You're, that's not – I mean, I, I know that was totally uh, – well, it was serious. Paul, oh, are you going to
0: agree with me? me? Don't agree with me.
1: Sort of Please like don't agree with me. Answer. No, I mean, I I think the, one of the first things that you should do as a coach is make sure that they're not fucking something up. All right? Okay. And as annoying as it may be, I mean, you, whether that's having a conversation about simple mistakes that a lot of people make or checking their food log for them, or just giving them a meal plan to try and make it as idiot proof as possible, because that's happened to me before where I'm just like, man, this person is not losing weight. Like, let's just try this meal plan. Boom. All of a sudden it works. You have no problem losing fat. You you were, something was going wrong. Something you were doing. It was user error. Um, But i don't want to steal this too much i'll let somebody else talk i feel like let I me actually talk. Hold to on you. let me because
0: we like our definitions around here we need to define mm-hmm. things before we can have a conversation about them right um so a a, how do you guys define a plateau how many how long is the duration there weight has been stuck for blank
3: days slash weeks oh uh, i'd say at least three weeks okay I think honestly the, you're not in a fucking plateau if you don't lose weight over a week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good uh frame of time because it's just a lot of times within our job, you don't always have three weeks to wait. So you might kind of call something a plateau a little uh prematurely. But yeah, I would agree with Dom. I, I would I would not call anything less than about three weeks a, a true plateau or you just don't know.
0: And I think think if it's it's for a lifestyle client, even though you have all the time, yeah, you have all the time in the world. And on top of that, like, even though weight loss isn't happening with a lifestyle client, weight loss, isn't the only goal. There are a lot of other metrics that you can refocus a client on outside of the scale, which may actually have better long-term consequences or long-term effects than just focusing on that scale. Are we improving your health markers? Are we getting you into better habits? Are we reinforcing your um, you looking at performance metrics in the gym? Are you getting stronger? Do you feel like you have better energy throughout the day? Sleep. I just had this conversation with a client today. She was very stuck on the scale, and I just asked her a series of questions. Your sleep getting better do you feel better in the gym and it was just like yes 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 and i was like then how could we be plateaued if our goal is to improve your health if our goal is to yeah, improve well, your I, health and we're checking I nine like- out of ten boxes then we're I getting talked there to
3: somebody about this i talked to somebody about this the other day too and i said just because you're not losing weight doesn't mean you're not losing fat yep yeah.
1: no you know there's I've-
3: so many things that go into um like your weight your morning weight. Yeah. Like maybe you, we were around Thanksgiving, maybe you were sleeping less cause you had events or you had, you know, there's so many different things. So uh-huh. I had to remind her that, you know, just because, just because you're not losing weight doesn't mean you're not losing fat. And then she was like, yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause even when I look at my pictures, we can see a difference in them and, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, she was, she went from being extremely constipated to not anymore. So there's so many different things that i was like these are all variables like playing to your weight every day Dude, i'm gonna i'm I gonna completely shut up after going. this one paul i promise i promise
0: i'll, I'll show it i know right i think that there is an article that everyone who has lifestyle weight loss as their goal or lifestyle fat loss as their goal needs to read and it's called of whooshes and squishy fat By Lyle McDonald. I can't tell you how many times I have sent this exact article to individuals, but it explains the fat loss whoosh and why you might see a plateaued scale weight for weeks at a time. And then all of a sudden it just like falls off a cliff. So we can actually throw that article in the show notes below so that everyone can read it because it's, you know, it's, it's one of those ones that I reference back to almost weekly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, no, that, that is a really good article and something that I, I, yeah, I, I need to start recommending to a lot of clients too. Um, but I thought you guys were going in a different direction. Um, you guys went in the health direction, but that's why I always have people collect circumference measurements now. Um, and I've grown to love those so much, man, because they can tell such a different story than, than the fucking scale. And, uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll see people's weight plateau, but it's like your your waist circumference is smaller um, or maybe limbs measure slightly bigger or are maintaining their size, you know, while waist is getting smaller. And then you, you ask some follow up questions. You're like, well, do you feel like you look different? Like, do your fit clothes different? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, OK, cool. So we didn't like mismeasure. And it's like things are going well. I'm not I'm not going to adjust your food yet. Right.
2: Yeah, I think oh, you guys have silence. all made pretty good points, um, <laughs> like really good points because that's the, you know, the big thing's going to be whether or not it's a lifestyle client or if it's a, you know, a fizzy competitor. Um, I usually almost try to bake in a potential quote unquote plateau inside of a contest prep and just go, hey, let's give ourselves another month so we can be ready early because it's, it, there's a good chance that it's going to happen. Um, often fat loss isn't necessarily linear, necessarily linear for a lot of people. So try to bake that stuff in. But yeah, with lifestyle clientele, you know, try to get them off of that scale as being their primary indicator of progress. So ask them all those questions. Like Ryan said, you know, do you feel good? You know, what does your day look like? Are you sleeping better? Even things like sex drive, stuff like that, or all the things. I mean, I'm not trying to go too deep into that conversation, but those are the things you can kind of bring up uh to see if they're actually making progress and then kind of get them away from using the scale as their only indicator of progress um and then also like like paul was saying first like assess like what's going on you know often a plateau isn't really a plateau it's that they've stepped outside of the plan at some point in time they've done something that's going to be weird um i've tried a ton of that stuff refeeds diet breaks and sometimes it's person is just not tracking the way that they should, or they're like, Oh, that's right. Every weekend I've been going bowling. I've been eating two hot dogs, but I've been tracking it. You're like, what? Like, wait a minute. Like what kind of hot dogs? Well, I don't know. I just pick hot dogs from my fitness pal. You're like, Oh, so that, that's the thing. And people don't realize how small of an increase in caloric intake could possibly take them out of being in a caloric deficit. So if you kind of explain to them, like, Hey, it might not seem like it's a big deal, but it very well might be a big deal if that's the thing yeah yeah, or they underestimate
1: the caloric value of what they're eating you know what i mean because it's true like if if using a 50 calorie um condiment one day takes you out of a deficit then you're not in much of a deficit to begin with like you should be able to do that and still continue to lose weight you know Um, but people, like you said, they, they pick this hot dog that's 180 calories and they think that's what they're eating. But in actuality, they're eating like a 400 calorie hot dog and they're having two of them, you know, on that Friday night.
3: Yeah. Like I always tell people your deficit isn't a daily thing. It's a weekly thing because like people will really eat off plan and they think, well, I was so perfect. Why didn't I lose any weight?" And I'm like, well, you ate enough to take you out of a deficit this week. Like you probably ate enough to potentially put some fat back on. (laughs) Um, because I hate the whole 500 calorie thing to lose a pound. I know it's really standard. Like it's just, you know, what you kind of learn on the basis of, you know, the base of everything, but to say 3,500 calories is what it takes to add a pound of fat back, you know, that's, it's really, that's such like a hard quantitative number that I think people put too much like trust in because they think if they didn't eat 3,500 calories over their maintenance, they didn't gain any fat
2: back. Yeah. I think Lyle has a, an article about that sort of not necessarily debunking that, but just saying like, yeah, it is, it is good because it is people like to hear numbers, especially when you're, you know, you're considered sort of a specialist in your field. They like to hear you sound, like, there's some very concrete information that you can give them that will allow them to make progress. So, 3,500 calories or 500 calories a day, that sounds really good on its face. But, you know, we're an adaptive species. There's a lot of things going on that are going to definitely interfere with that potential of 500 calories exactly being the thing that's going to allow you to either make progress or not making progress.
0: So, I'm going to push back there because I think the 3,500 number. I think that is a solid number and it's like, that's the number that you want to shoot for. Where I think people get lost or where I think people kind of get a little bit jaded is in like, how do we get to that 3,500 number and how much goes into that daily deficit where it's like what paul said like a little bit of extra like sauce here or there might be you know 50 100 calories your step count is you know 1500 to 2000 less on a couple days of the week and you've really kind of slowly but surely with like tiny little steps in your day eaten away at that deficit and what on paper was 3500 calories ends up being you know 1500 to 2000 so you think that you are in that deficit but in reality it's significantly less and i think a conversation that i often have with my lifestyle clients who aren't on a concrete timeline is like that's fine i like, that's not a big deal like remember that your goal was to lose weight to lose body fat like 0.5 pounds in a week of body fat is still a success it's still closer To our goal number to your goal number that you were at like you're going to have weeks where you absolutely knock it out of the park and you lose 1.2 1.5 and then you're going to have weeks where you know shit comes up at work and it's someone's birthday and you know you get stuck with a work deadline your steps aren't great that week your training isn't awesome 0.5 is not a step back it's still a step forward it's just a smaller step forward than you had originally planned but you cannot go broke making a profit and that's still a profit at the end of the day
3: So I think I think one thing that the 3500 rule kind of plays a weird part for me is is you you don't a lot of people don't take into consideration that if you reduce food, you're reducing other parts of your energy expenditure outside of direct food, like your thermal effect of food goes down because you're not eating as much food. Your NEAT possibly could go down because you're not having as much calories. So your 3,500 calorie deficit, you think you're eating on the surface, is actually probably closer to like 2,000 because your because of that energy demand shift. Um, you know that I think that's where that's where I think you know better coaches, more knowledgeable people can piece that together and really show a client why yeah, you might think you're eating at a 500 calorie deficit a day, but this is why you're not losing at that rate.
1: I mean, we know the metabolic adaptation happens and you know part of that is from the weight loss. And you can even uh, maintain your step count and still you don't burn as many calories throughout a day. I mean, because step count is only one, one part of the amount of moving you through, do throughout a day, right? Like you're doing a lot of other things. So and if you're losing know.
3: weight. Well, if you're and losing your weight, your steps don't burn as many calories. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, everything so I think that's today. why that's why I like uh that's why I like uh Steve Hall wears a weight vest as he loses weight.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And I think Steve Hall. So the very one very gifted we can... bodybuilder. We like Steve. Very
0: gifted. Absolutely. Ascending towards Steve. legend
2: status as we speak. But here's the thing. one thing I, I like to take into consideration when I create <clears throat> or I start giving out those hard numbers, and there was a time where I did it all the time, but What'll happen is if you start to explain too much about energy balance, what'll happen is if somebody says, okay, so I have to eat a net of 3,500 calories less per week, they'll start doing weird stuff like I'm going to undereat three days in a row and then I'm going to overeat on the weekend. And then they've created their own sort of weird low day, high day situation. That's basically uncontrolled by you or them because they're just going to overeat. So it can be sort of a, a, a strange line to kind of balance. And, you know, for the coaches out there, you're going to have to look at the personality of the person that you're working with. And if you discern very early on that, you know, their relationship with food is not very good, which is often the case, that's why they reached out to you to begin with, um, giving them numbers or even explaining energy balance as a whole might not necessarily allow them to you know fix that relationship with food because they're going to get right back into a very disordered eating pattern yeah. it's gonna yeah i Honestly, could not agree more it's gonna extent- push them down that disordered route something
0: um one of the latest episodes of iron culture ben house and, and gabby fundaro are on Fundaro, Fundaro is her last name i always pronounce that wrong um ben was talking about you know when I'm coaching clients, like, I don't want you to have my brain, I don't want you to have my knowledge, because on a daily basis, it's a burden to have what I have, I want to give you the bare minimum of what it takes for you to reach your goals, so that you're not sitting there and stressing about, let's have a low day, this day, high day, this day, I'll do more steps, more cardio to compensate for this, that and the other, so that you just become this, this chronically obsessed individual that develops these eating patterns, like, these disordered eating patterns, why don't I just give you the basics, distill it down to the level that you need to know. And then you can just leave all the advanced stuff to nerds like us. I thought that was a very interesting take.
1: I think that that really is. It's a refreshing one, kind of a unique one, but, um, yeah, I don't even, uh, you know, the 3,500 calorie thing is something that a lot of people talk about and a lot of people already know, And uh, for for myself, though, that's not like a big number. I really use a ton. Like a lot of times I'll do like uh, somebody enters a dieting phase, right? And I remove a certain amount of food and maybe I add a certain amount of activity. And then after I make my changes, I just sort of check. I'm like, hey, how close is this to that 3,500 calorie mark? Um, If it's, you know, it probably isn't a bad thing to be somewhere close to that once you total up all the calories or the the entire deficit but then from there like that number matters no more you know really it's just like hey are you losing weight or are you not if you are like cool if you if you're not and we've uh a sufficient amount of time has gone by for us to think you're at a plateau uh or other things like mentioned in this question like a refeed or a diet break aren't clearing up the picture a little bit Then we just got to remove food. Like fuck the 3,500 calorie number. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then precision is like, it's relative. So 3,500, like sure, it sounds great because it's a very concrete number, but it's at the end of the day, like Paul said, like just less, like less (laughs) than what you're doing now. Like you're not losing weight. So that means we either need to increase activity or you eat less food. Those are, that's just where we need to be. So getting caught up in how do we get to 3,500 calories or 500 calories less a day? You know, what if they're, what if they've always been, I think you guys had mentioned on one of the podcasts when I was gone, like, what if they've always been tracking their food wrong? Like you have no idea if it's actually 500 calories, who knows? But at the end of the day, there's, there's probably far too many variables to take into account where just the one that you can control is just eat a little less food. That's it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have ever, I, I'm sure you have where either with yourself or a client, like maybe, uh, I know like for myself, um, I can get that good initial push, uh, into uh weight loss and fat loss just by removing like maybe 300 calories. I don't even have to come, cl- you know, a full 500 every day, you know? So yeah, here's that
0: Roddy. I hope we answered your question. No plateaus for you, man. You're looking leaner and meaner by the day. And I will see you this weekend, buddy.
1: Wait, we don't want to, I have some more to add to this question.
0: Then keep going. I was just speaking directly to Roddy. I wasn't even talking to you, Paul. Maybe Uh, you should mind your own business. Cool.
1: Maybe I should. Um, (laughs) No, but I I do think the uh, refeed diet refeeds, you know, diet breaks, things like that can be, Uh, something really useful to test the waters, because I think we've all had those situations where we do give somebody a refeed, or we do put them in a diet break, and it clears up the pitcher, they get that swoosh that um, squat dad was talking about, and uh, lose, just drop some water weight, and you can kind of see that uh, realized in the scale weight. So um, yeah, like for myself, if I find myself in a predicament where it's like, It seems like we've gotten more aggressive than I'd like to, or we've tried to combat these stalls with uh, pulling more food. First, I like to make sure that they're doing things correctly, but then it's like, hey, like maybe we do want to try refeed or we do want to try diet break. See if that clears up the, the picture some.
0: I can dig it. Other gentlemen, anything to add or shall we clip it and ship it as they say on Twitch?
3: They say that? Oh, that's the thing?
0: I think so. I think so. Like, I Uh, hear, like, people, like, doing, like, nasty plays and, like, PvP and stuff. And they're like,
3: oh, clip it and ship it.
0: I don't know what it means, but I hear people saying it so I can repeat it. Sound cool. Let's use it. Let's use it. Let's use it then. All right, folks. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for watching. As always, like, comment, subscribe. Do all that good stuff. Head over to giftedperformance.com. We've got plenty of new apparel for you. We're running our transformation challenge starting the new year. Make sure you grab one of those spots. We are about halfway sold out there. So don't miss your opportunity at a $500 cash prize, eight weeks of coaching with one of our one-on-one coaching specialists, change your life and win some cash along the way. We will see you on the next one. In the meantime, in between time, as always, stay gifted. Peace. Paul. Paul, we can't finish. Oh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>